0: Last week we looked at God's law and the fact that we believe in absolute truth. We believe in a truth that's applicable to all people. That is it is objective, not subjective. Doesn't matter what you think about it. It's applicable at all places. That means it's universal, doesn't change based on where we are. And then we believe that this truth, biblical truth is applicable at all times, which means it's constant. Doesn't matter the date on the calendar, God's truth is still the same. And his argument was that simply presenting uh, morality without tying it to the character of Jesus is a great disservice. Anyway, we know that the law, and we briefly looked last week, that the law was given to Israel. One, to provide a moral code for the people. Two, to bring order to society. Three, to set them apart from the others in their land because the people in the land that they went into in in Canaan, it was a decadent land. It was a um, a sexually immoral land. It was a land filled with idolatry. And not only those things, but the very uh, daily patterns of their life were to be uh, directed by God Uh, For the uh, purpose of protecting the people, uh, even sanitary things uh, were a part of the law, but also to set them apart from the people. Lastly, the law was given to Israel that uh, it might glorify God. And God's commandments, among other things, are designed that they would bring glory to Him. And if you know your Ten Commandments, you know that the first commandment is you should have no other gods before Him. Okay, and and I think it's the first commandment because it's the most important commandment because it's our tendency to have what? Other gods before Him. We are created in the image of God, therefore, we are people who are constantly pouring out, and that outpouring, that unceasing outpouring from within our souls, is called worship. That's why. People, no matter where you go or what culture you go to, they are worshiping something. They're worshiping an idea. They're worshiping a a political stance. they're, They're worshiping... Uh, 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 the sun, the moon, the stars. uh, uh, They're worshiping ancestors. They're worshiping the wind. No matter where you go, whatever culture you go to, people are worshiping something. And that's because we've been created in his image and therefore we've been created to pour out in worship. Okay. Um, It's our tendency to place things above him. The second commandment, is really, if you violate the first one and you have other gods before him, it won't be long until you start carving out idols that you worship and that you bow down to. Okay, the first four of the commandments specifically deal with our relationship with God. And actually, all ten of the big ten commandments have to do with our relationship with God. But the first four specifically have to do with our relationship with one uh, with God. And um, that's kind of... First, because that's where everything flows from. I have found myself in the last number of weeks doing a lot of counseling um, with, uh, 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 with couples. Uh, uh, couples uh, that are struggling in their marriages. We all have different things that we struggle with in our marriage. And uh, uh, some more than others, but we all have struggled because we're, no one is perfect. And when you have two imp- imperfect people that come together in covenant, then you're going to have some difficulties um, but I, I remember I had told one couple, I said, you know, in this particular marriage, it's, it's either like, like just, just okay, like, like, like how's marriage? Well, it's okay. It's either that or it's a train wreck. It's one or the other. Okay, it's one of those two extremes and i said to them and i thought this was pretty good good counsel i said you know what why don't you guys make a list of non-negotiables because you know i hear from one person well you know i don't like it when they when he does this and then he the other and he reacts that way and then she'll say well i don't like it when 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 he does that and he reacts this way and 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 that gets me i said why don't you guys just do this just make a list of non-negotiables now it can't be 50 items Okay, but maybe there's 10 things that you two could agree upon that you would say, no matter what, I won't go there. No matter what, you agree in advance during that time when things are okay, not during the time of a train wreck, because that's not when that's going to happen. Put it on your refrigerator, tell other people about it, pray about it, covenant before the Lord, and say, you know what, we'll do this no matter what. I thought that was really good wisdom. And there's another couple with some communication issues. And I said, why don't you try this and why don't you try that? But you know what I thought about? I thought, you know what? If, if the central focus of their marriage and my marriage and our marriages isn't Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what kind of counseling we get. It doesn't matter what kind of list we put together. It doesn't matter the communication skills that we have. If we're not focusing first and foremost on Jesus, it don't mean a thing. It don't mean a thing. And so I thought, I thought that was jolly good advice. Miss Joe, I thought it was dolly good. You know what? It wasn't, because here's the here's the here's the focal point. You know, it and it, 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 this is like a little bit of marriage counseling today. You know what? Put Jesus first in your marriage. Okay, get your eyes off of your spouse and get your eyes on Jesus. Okay, now understand that that's a blanket statement. I don't understand the dynamics of everyone's family life, but but either way, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Him. And, and, and let the Lord deal with uh, the other, because that has to be the key. When, when one person, and hopefully two, are willing to say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do in my marriage, I'll do. Lord, my personal happiness is not the main issue here. Lord, let your will be done in my marriage. Start with me. And, and, and when, when a couple does that, you know what, that's, that's, that's the appropriate priority. Now I understand not everybody here has a spouse that's a believer. Okay, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's hard. Okay, but still you have to put maybe even more so your eyes on Jesus and ask for strength in that. Okay, Jesus said it this way and we'll get to it in Matthew 6.33. In the Amplified Bible it says, but seek, that is aim at and strive after first of all his kingdom and his righteousness. Aim at it, strive after it. That is his way of doing and being right. And then, All these things taken together will be given you besides. And so our our focus in our marriages, our focus in everything is to seek first the kingdom, to aim at it and strive for it, uh, and his righteousness. Now, we're in Matthew chapter 5, going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at um, six issues that the Lord will deal with uh, in our relationships with others. Uh, It is based on the need that we have for one another. Okay, now I want to say this emphatically, and, and I want to, I want to give you a command, if I may, as your friend and your brother in Christ. Uh, I want to give you this command that we cannot consistently grow, hor- uh, 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 vertically if we're not growing horizontally. We cannot consistently grow vertically if we're not growing, uh, laterally. I don't know what it is, but there's a natural tendency within us whenever we are struggling in sin or whenever we are angry at someone or somebody, or we're having some difficulty that we're going through, or simply as a way of life, and that's just kind of how, it been, how it's been that we withdraw from fellowship and koinonia with one another. Let me explain what I mean by that. I, I, when I say koinonia, I don't mean the softball team, which I think that's great, but that's not koinonia. Koinonia goes deeper than that. It, it, it is gathering together, but it's more just than just gathering together. It's sharing our hearts and sharing our lives and entering into an intimacy with one another. Uh, it seems to be a natural tendency to isolate ourselves. And it seems that recently I'm talking to more and more people that are struggling, going through difficulties even in their marriage, and they're isolating themselves. They're not in, in real community. I had a, a, a young man that I talked to recently, and just just a rough time. It, it's been a rough life for him, difficult, and, and and he's sharing all these things with me that happened recently with him. And I said to him, I just man, tell me, man, who are you connected to? Man, you I, I, I see you at church almost every Sunday, but I'm uh, like, but who are you linking arms with? And he said, you know what? Man, I need that in my life. And I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs and say, you absolutely need that. You know, I don't know what it is about men in particular. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on that because I am a man. How we just, we just withdraw from those things. And maybe it's because of pride, maybe it's because of anger, maybe it's because of selfishness, maybe it's because, you know, of hurt, but that just makes it worse. And, and it's like, I wanted to say, and I did say, man, you need to be linking arms with other brothers. And, and he said this to me, man, get this in your, in your heart. And Young man, get this in your soul. He said, you know, man, I work a lot of hours. You know, and I'm grinding it out for my family. Praise God. Amen. You need to do that. You're supposed to do that. And, and it's hard and it's, and it's tough. And we work long hours and we come home and we're tired. Amen. Okay. And, and, then, and then he says, and when I get home, man, we got the kids and, and I need to be there for my kids. And I go, amen. Hallelujah. You need to do that. Absolutely. That's a good thing. No, no, I don't we want to discount that at all. Not at all. Because there's a lot of men that don't do that. Okay, they, they come home and, and they're not they're disconnected from their from their kids or or, or even, that's even if they come home uh, a lot of men are are physically home but mentally and spiritually they're gone okay and, and so I get that and that's a that's a high thing uh, but, uh, but 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 then I said but listen let me tell you you think your girl would would. If you came, if you every Tuesday night, for example, we have men's group that meets here, or Thursday night that meets here, or Friday night at Frank Bunder's house. You know, we try to make as many opportunities as we can. I say, let me let me ask you this question now: If if you And if you told your girl, now granted, you're busy, you got the kids, you know, you don't want to dump everything on her. But do you think if you told her, you know what, honey, one day a week, I'm going to go to men's Bible study. I need to be around some other men. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. I need to be sharpened. I got to connect with other brothers. Would that be okay? I just don't see her going, no way, I need you here. (laughs) I think she would say, you absolutely go. Because the, the greater you are connected with other men, the greater chance I have of our marriage being successful. The greater chance of, of knowing, of me knowing you're going to, to you know, it's not like you're going bowling, uh, which ain't a bad thing, or, or you're going, you know, uh, uh, to the sports book. That is a bad thing, you know. But, but you're, you're going to fellowship. And, and I said, I promise you, man, she'll be okay with that. And Wives, let me, let me just say to you, Please release your husbands to those things. I assume that you would. But, but please, please release, release your husbands to those I assume that you would. Okay? But I, I don't know what it is about those who isolate themselves. Uh, and and, and it's just, you just can't do it. You cannot do it. And, and the last six of the commandments have to do with our relationships with one another. Uh, and that's that's important. And the last commandment is, is the closer where he says, don't covet. You know what coveting is, right? It's, it's, the, it's the child at home when the older brother or sister has the toy that they want. And there's a thousand toys on the floor that don't mean a thing. Because they want that one. And they haven't wanted it all day long. In fact, they didn't even notice it until a big brother has it. And they go, what? That's mine. I'm playing with that. And they go, no, you're not. And they go, yep. Okay, you get it, right? That's covetousness. (laughs) And we do the same thing. And the Lord says, don't covet. That's the last one. And he says, don't do that. Don't covet your neighbor's goods. Don't covet your neighbor's wives. Don't covet anything. Why? Because we murder because of covetousness. We commit adultery because of covetousness. We steal because of covetousness. We lie so often because we covet. And that leads to us serving other gods. So let me say this about God's law. God's law is tied to his character. God says what he says because of who he is. Now, if you're a parent, you raise children, you know that when they're young, you can tell them something. And you can say, don't do that. And they go, why? You go, because I said so. Now, you know when they're children, that's okay. But you know, as they get a little bit older, you have to come with a little more than that. I would suggest to you that the children that are falling away from the Lord, whatever that means in college, is because they've been told what God says, but they've not been told why God said it. Because when you understand the why, then you understand the character behind the why. As a parent, when I tell my child, don't do that, And they may agree or disagree, but if they understand my character, I'm saying it because I love them and I care about them and I want what's best for them. And hopefully we as children of God can get that God's commandments are tied to his character and God is love. So therefore he's just not telling us don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. He's saying, you know, do this, don't do this, do this because of who I am and because of my character and because of my love for you. And so don't murder. Why? Because God is life. And people are made in the image of God and no one has the right to take away the life of someone else. Let me just mention there is a difference between murder and killing. King David murdered Uriah. He conspired to have Uriah killed, uh, murdered, but he killed Goliath. See the difference? That was okay in defense of the Lord. The other was wrong because it was murder. Don't commit adultery because God is a covenant-keeping God and He requires His people to be a covenant-keeping people. Honor your mother and father because you have a God in heaven who calls Himself your father and if you don't honor your earthly mother and father, you'll never honor your father in heaven. Don't murder because Jesus is life. God is life. So verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, Lord Jesus is speaking. This is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a a key scripture here. You have to remember, he's speaking to scribes and Pharisees that thought they had it all figured out. And maybe some people who thought that they were okay with God because for the most part, they kept the law. So there was a little bit of self-righteousness going on. And he speaks to them. And he says in verse 24, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus says you must be righteous to get to heaven. Listen, this is critical. You must Be righteous to get to heaven. And you are not righteous because of church attendance. You are not righteous because your grandma was a deaconess at the church down the road. You are not righteous because you give or because you do this or you do that. You're righteous solely and simply because you've received the love and the grace and you believe in Jesus Christ for your righteousness. You've confessed your sin. You've repented and you're trusting in him for your salvation. That is righteousness before him. There's no other way. Multitudes and multitudes of people are doing moral things that are not connected with the one true Jesus and believe that if there is a God in heaven, I'll be right with him because I'm a good person or because I do good things. And the Lord Jesus himself would say on that day of judgment, he would say to them, depart from me. And the King James says, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. So Jesus strips away all the self-righteousness and he levels the playing field. Because the only righteousness will be the righteousness of Christ. Verse 21 through 30, we have six different thoughts. All based on verse 20. Verse 20 is the principle and the remaining scriptures... In chapter 5 of the application, they are comparative statements based on things that they have heard because the people listen to the, the scribes and the Pharisees to interpret God's law. So Jesus will say, you've heard it said. And they go, yeah, yeah, we have heard that. Look at verse 21. First he speaks about murder. Verse 21 through 24. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you, and this is the phraseology, you've heard it said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, and your translation may say without cause, anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go uh, into the fiery hell. (laughs) Okay, now wait a minute now, Lord. I've never committed murder. And what the Lord does is he brings the principle to the heart of the matter. Because they had the law on the wall and they said, well, I have never done that. And then Jesus takes it to a whole other level and says, let's bring it to the heart of the issue. You've heard, but I say to you, the precept, then the application. Jesus shows his authority over all previous teachers, prophets, Pharisees, scribes, rabbis. And he's going to teach us the true meaning of the law. These people knew that murder was wrong. They knew that it was punishable in the courts. They knew that murder and the, the, uh, the precept to not murder actually predates the law. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. But Jesus adds an amendment to the law. He says, but I say to you, in my kingdom, it's not enough that you've never murdered. You mustn't have a hint of murder in your heart. <laughs> okay, okay, this is going to be good. Everybody strap in. <laughs> We're going for a ride. Jesus gets to the source of murder. Luke 6, and 45 says, for each tree is known <clears throat> by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks that which fills his heart. Yeah. and He warns about three forms of of danger. Uh, Someone's angry with his uh, brother without cause. Commenting on the specific word for anger, Bible trans-Greek uh, scholar uh, Barclay says, So Jesus forbids forever the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified, and the anger which seeks revenge. Oh, I like that. Wow. And he says, listen, notice the, the, three, the three different levels. Uh, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder... Uh, uh, he, uh, whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. Uh, now, 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 most of us think that, that you know, we can give a valid reason for our anger. Or we can may, maybe justify it. Uh, Jesus is saying it's, it's more serious of a sin uh, uh, as a sin as insulting a brother. And, and in the day of, of Jesus, there was a term they would use. He uses it here. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Uh, that was an Aramaic word for empty one. Like, you know, there's, there, there's just nothing in that person. And it was a word of contempt and abuse. And, and commentators have translated the idea of raka in, in modern day language as, as, a, as a nitwit or a blockhead or a numbskull or a bonehead or a brainless idiot. I thought that was it. I mean, brain, I mean, this is like, I mean, you're really like, like a word of contempt for sure. Um, again, Barclay says raka is an almost untranslatable word because it describes a tone of voice more than anything else. It, it, its whole accent is the accent of contempt. It is the, the word of one who despises another with an arrogant contempt. And the Lord said, those who use this word were in danger of the counsel First the court, then the council. What's the council? That's the Sanhedrin. That's the highest court in the land. And then he says, finally, to call someone fool. And the, and the Greek word is moros. And we get our English word moron from that. What a moron! That's what they would say. But it means more than just maybe you know, lacking some mental capacity in something. A moral fool... Uh, who ought to be dead. That, that's the, the context. That, that person is, is, is such a fool, they don't even deserve uh, to, be, to be living. That's, that's the context. And, and the expression behind it is, is, I wish that person wasn't even alive. That, that was... So feel the heaviness of that. Don't miss the severity. Anger contains the seeds of murder. Abusive language contains the spirit of murder, and profane language contains the the very desire to murder. How your words this morning, living grace. Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. Okay, um, now let me just make sure I get this. You've come to the worship service. It's Sunday morning, and, and, and you've come to lift up your holy hands in prayer. You've come to, to give an offering. Maybe you've come to, to work, and, and it's an offering for you. And, and, and you're ready to praise the Lord. You're ready to engage with the saints. Your hands are raised up. And you've, you've come to praise the Lord, to, to offer a sacrifice of praise. But he says, you've come to, and then you remember that someone's got something against you. Someone has something, it's not that you have something against someone, this context is someone has something against you. And you might be thinking, no, no, man, it's not a problem, we're cool, me and homeboy, we're cool, man. No, 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 this person has an issue against you. And and you you know that. And the Lord is saying, listen, it's more important to be reconciled with the brother than to come to the altar and perform religious duty. It is more important to be reconciled with a sister than come into worship on Sunday morning and praise your hands and raise your hands and praise the Lord. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Understand that some people might reject that. And so he says, Come with your offering, and the Holy Spirit brings something to mind. He says, Don't leave with your offering, leave it here and then go. And be reconciled to that brother. Be reconciled to that sister. Whether they receive it or not. It's not going to do any good because that person is just going to not receive it. And that's okay. That's not the issue. And then he says, then come back and offer up that offering. Wow. Go make peace. Attempt to. Then return. And then your plate is clean. And that's what the Lord would have us to have. Clean plates. Clean plates. And you might go to that person and maybe the Lord's bringing someone to mind and you might ask this question, you know, I just, is everything okay with us? Because I'm kind of feeling like you might be mad at me or angry at me. Sometimes you don't know. But if the Holy Spirit brings it up, go ask. And they may say, no, no, I don't, I don't. Or they may say, you know what? Yeah, I'm mad at you. I'm real hot at you. You know what you did? And you might not even know it. Yeah, you did this. You go, oh, I'm I'm sorry. Go make peace. Then come back. So Saturday night, we might have some work to do, huh? Sunday morning, we might have a phone call to make. But I don't think it's limited to that. I think it's any time the Holy Spirit brings someone to mind. Because we're going to be in a continuum of worship with the Lord, of praise and prayer and, and an attitude of thanksgiving. And in your prayer time, or in your time in the Word, the Holy Spirit says, so-and-so is really hot at you. You go, what? That can't be you, Lord. You keep right on going, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit says, no, you offended that person. You need to go make it right. And it's like, ah, that's hard, right? That's a kingdom person, though. Whether they receive it or not isn't the issue, is it? I'll go to them. If I, if I thought they would make a difference, I'd go. Lord says, "Don't no matter if they receive it or not, you go. That person has an issue with you, you're going to go make peace. Verse 20, uh, um, 20, 25 and 26 says, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with, with him on the way. These folks are going to see the judge, and he says, Hey, you know, make, make peace in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to uh, the officer, and you be thrown into prison Truly I say to you that you shall not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. Jesus commands us to settle uh, anger issues and malice issues quickly. The context here is that you might be the one at fault. And and, and you're headed to the judge. You go, hey, listen, you know what? Let's settle this thing right now. And the key is settle it quickly. Don't wait. Uh, The warning is if you're wrong, be quick to admit it and make things right. And if we ignore that, And we pass it off. Guess what it does? It imprisons us. It imprisons us. Ephesians 4.29, the New Living Translation says this, Don't sin by letting anger control you, but let the sun go down while you are still... Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Don't don't let the sun go down. Act on it quickly. Act on it. Well, next, the Lord shifts gears and he he talks about uh, adultery. And specifically, adultery is sex outside. You're married and you have that relation, sexual relations with someone else. Okay, you have intimacy with someone else. Physical, technically, the term means physical, but it could be emotional as well. Because emotional adultery leads to physical adultery. Okay. Uh, and so he's addressing this, in, in verse 27 through 30, or, or through well, yeah, he goes, "You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." That was the law. That was the command. That's the precept. Now the application, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart." Well, let's just stop there. Because I believe at that point there were a lot of cats in the crowd who started to shuffle. <clears throat> you know, men were dropping things and looking around saying, i got to go to the restroom, I'll be right back. I, need, I don't think I need to... Yeah, or You know what, man, how much longer is this guy going to go? It's time for lunch, man. <sighs> what time is it? Again, it's not external. It's internal. The problem is always with the heart. That's where it begins. Someone said the heart is the soil for the seed of sin to germinate and to grow. Adultery begins first in the heart. It's, it's planted and it germinates there. And then it becomes lust. Lust is generated in men, typically visually, by what we see. Ladies, God's wired us differently. Hey, women aren't necessarily like this. Uh, That's why pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry because it caters to the visual orientation of men and it is addictive. I have thought to myself, I am so glad I am not 16 years old in my house with a computer because, and, and in my house, there probably wouldn't have been any safeguards. I am so thankful I'm not 14 years old with 300 channels on my television that show all kind of sexual immorality. Because had that been me at 15 years old, that would have been a snare in my life because I had no accountability. We weren't even Christians. It wasn't even an issue. It would have never been an issue of what are you looking at and, and where. I, I tell you what, parents, you already know this. You need to have your computers on lockdown. You know that. Especially with your men, uh, boys, but with your ladies too, your young ladies too. Because there's all kinds of evil that lurks on that internet. There's all kinds of good things. There's all kinds of evil. You need to know where they're going on the internet, why they're going there, and how long they've been there, and who they're talking to. And then there's cell phones. That's a whole nother opportunity. I mean, how do you lock down a cell phone? Well, there's ways to do it, but you better know. You better know because that stuff is a trap. It starts in the heart. David one night went up to his rooftop. And because Jerusalem is on a a hill, uh, he could see the houses below him. And he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who's bathing. He couldn't help but notice that. He couldn't help but notice the first look that wasn't sin you know years ago i had an accountability partner he's still my best friend to this day and we entered into an accountability agreement and we said man we need this i said so listen man we are not gonna take second looks okay i mean you know you can't help the first look but we're not gonna take second looks not even in church he goes cool man yeah dad boom boom right on and you know what he said later? He said, well, I'm not going to take a second look, but I'm going to take real lo- a real long first look. I said, man, you ain't even right. What kind of accountability partner are you? Loser. And then we said we weren't going to go past 90 degrees. I said, I'm going I'm, I'm to kick it up a notch on you, man. I need help here, right? Come on, you know, single young brothers in the church trying to make it. I said, we're not going past 90. We're not turning the shoulder this way. We're just not going to do it. He said, yeah, right on. Let's do a covenant. Yeah, right on. Boom, boom, boom. He said, I'm not going to turn 90 degrees. I'm going to turn this way. I said, that don't count, man. That don't count, man. Man, you are not helping, bro. You're fired. You're fired. You can't help the first look, Right. That's not sin. It wasn't the glance that ruined David. It was the gaze. David looked, then he kept looking. It wasn't like, what? It was like, what? 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm joking. It's, not, it's a serious issue. It's a serious... I, I want light, to lighten it up before I lower the boom on you and me. Because that long glance led to him getting Bathsheba, which led to the sin of adultery, which led to him conspiring to murder Uriah, her husband which brought shame on Israel, which brought essentially a curse in the land until it was dealt with. And, and, and you know, guys, if David could have gone back to that day knowing what would happen and not took that glance, that second glance, he would have never done it. You know, sexual sin, adultery, sexual morality, it multiplies Exponentially. We like to say at this church that we are all multiplying something. We're multiplying to the spirit. We're multiplying to the flesh. Whether we think we are or not, we're multiplying something. And and, and what we multiply doesn't just affect us in particular sexual sin. It affects others. It goes down line to future generations. It is no mistake that King David struggled in that area, and his son Solomon was the most notorious backslider in the whole Old Testament because of women. Sobering. The wisest man who ever lived was taken down by sexual sin. And the enemy is not stupid, it works. And it always has. Begins in the heart. It's an internal issue. Jesus is not saying that the act of adultery and adultery in the heart are the same thing. Because someone might be saying, Listen, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well do it. The act of adultery is far worse than adultery in the heart. But his point is not to say they're the same, but to say that they're both sin. They're both sin. Hey, I'm just looking. Nothing wrong with looking. I beg to differ. Jesus would say, there is something wrong with looking. Hey, it's not like I'm going out and doing it. Oh, but if you're looking, it's a matter of time before you do go out and do it. I want to say God created us as sexual beings. I'm going to say young people and old, your sexuality is a gift from God. God, the urges, the things that are welling up and and stirring inside of you, listen, that's not sinful. God gave you that. That's part of his marvelous plan. That desire is from him. But sexual desire is amoral. It's not right in and of itself. It's not wrong like fire fire is not right and it's not wrong. Fire in my fireplace is a good thing. Fire on my curtain, not so much. <laughs> and, sexu- and, and our sexual desire is amoral in and of itself. When it's contained and it's brought under the auspices of the Holy Spirit and it's controlled and it's it's, wait- it's, it's uh, uh, put in the box until marriage, that is a beautiful thing. When it's opened up and it's unleashed at a time where it's not supposed to be. It is a sinful thing and it's a hurtful thing. Some people only keep from adultery because they're afraid to get caught. And in their heart, they commit adultery every day. Jesus considers adultery a sin of the heart. And we know what we think about and allow our head our heart to rest on is based on choice if there's no choice then there's no responsibility for what they think about but those but th- let me just read this i, I want to get it right for those that believe they have no choice they want a world with no responsibility for what they think about but this contradicts the clear teaching of jesus We may not be able to control our passing thoughts or feelings, but we certainly can decide where our heart and mind will rest. Carson said this, Imagine, imagination is a God-given gift, but if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. All sin, not the least sexual sin, begins with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance in the pursuit of kingdom righteousness. So what do we do? What do we do? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this. You might want to turn there if you like. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice those things as a habitual way of life, that have no conviction of the Holy Spirit, they're not struggling with it, they're continuing in it. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And look what verse 11 says Such were some of you. Listen, I can't help it. It's the way God made me. I, 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 I just I, I cannot, uh, uh, I cannot help myself. You know, there are those in, 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 in sexual sin that want us to think there's nothing they can do about it. And to that I say, how would that work in a marriage? I mean, if, husband, if you just told your wife, listen, this is how God made me, I can't help myself, I just have to have a couple women on the side. Sorry, you want to get married? No! <laughs> well, I, It's the way God made me. Paul says, such were some of you. That's who you used to be. You opened up the box before you were supposed to. Okay, Corinth. Las Vegas, living grace. Okay, don't dwell there. Get over that. Understand that's who you used to be. You're not that person anymore. Why? Because you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That's the first and foremost thing. Is That's not who I am. It's who I was. Paul says you can change but it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things within you. To set your mind free and to set your heart free. Firstly, secondly, stay accountable to another brother in Christ or another sister in Christ. Stay accountable. Men, who is your accountability partner? Don't tell me you don't have one. Can't do it these days. We're not going to be growing this way if we're not growing this way. And we must link arms. It's amazing to me the things that we will link arms with. And let the Super Bowl happen. There's all kind of fellowship going on. Uh, you let you let some big uh, 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 mixed martial arts uh, uh, fight come on a uh, uh, boxing, which I don't know about boxing. There's only one fight anybody cares to see, and that's not going to happen. But anyway, uh, I've, I've reverted back to watching Hearns Leonard and stuff like that. You know, it's like whatever, back in the glorious days of boxing. But but you, it, it could be a sporting event, it could be some some car event. There's all kinds of things. Dudes go to bars and hang out all night long, don't talk about nothing, then go back the next day and don't talk about nothing. But they're connecting. With other men. And then we come to Christ and somehow we just don't think we need to do that. We absolutely need to be connecting. Don't tell me you're not connected to anyone. We have to be. Stay accountable. Don't be afraid of it. It's not going to make you feminine. You're not going to have to share your innermost feelings and vomit all over the place at some men's group somewhere. That's the enemy lying to you or it's pride. We need accountability. We need one another. You can't go to war by yourself. You go to war by yourself, you're going to lose. Because you cannot outgun this enemy. But together, we win. It's the way it's designed. Stay accountable. You know what? Don't flirt with sin. Don't kid yourself. Paul said, don't be deceived. Don't flirt with it. (laughs) Many a mighty man, stronger than you, has gone down. King David. King David. King Solomon. and We can go on and on and on. Don't flirt with it. Hey, here's the third thing. Pray up in advance. Ask for strength now. The temptation is going to come. Get prayed up. You know what? Choose not to let your thoughts go there. Make that decision in advance. Fifthly, what scriptures have you memorized that will help you to overcome? What scriptures have you memorized that will help you to overcome? Let's finish up verse 27. Um, actually uh yeah 29 through 30 if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out and throw it from you for it is better that uh, for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body uh, to be thrown into hell and if your right hand makes you stumble cut it off and throw it from you for it is better that for you that one of the parts of your body perish uh, Than your whole body going to hell. All right, put yourself on that hill and you're listening to these words, and Jesus, is like, saying, Okay, cut my arm off? I mean, isn't that a bit extreme? I mean, gouge my eyes out? You know what? My eyes are causing me to sin. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that here. But I want you to get his heart. He's using hyperbole, a figure of speech. He wasn't speaking literally. There are those that believed in times past that Jesus was speaking literally. There's a a famous early Christian named Origen who had himself castrated based on this scripture. Okay, that's extreme. that's, That's over the line. Because here's the trouble with the literal interpretation of this is it doesn't go far enough. See, if I cut off one hand, I still have the other hand. And if I gouge out one eye, I still have the other eye. But the issue isn't the hand or the eye. The issue is the heart. What good will it do me to gouge out my eyes and still have sin in my heart? (sighs) And I can still sin in my mind. F.F. Bruce said this, Mutilation will not serve the purpose. It may prevent the outward act, but it will not extinguish desire. Yeah, that's the issue. And you know, the point is this, and, and I guess I'll summarize with this, guys, is that if we want to be obedient, it will require sacrifice. I don't know what that means in your life. It could be a relationship. It could be another level that the Lord's calling you to. It could be some radical thing. I think Jared prayed that. God, speak in our life. Do something in a way that you never have before. It could be that new thing that God wants to do that's going to require sacrifice. If we want to be obedient, we must be willing to sacrifice. Listen, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, it's going to take sacrifice. You have to humble yourself. You have to agree with him that you're a sinner and that you need his saving grace. You have to acknowledge that you are who he said you are. That takes sacrifice. To come to the place uh, uh, to the place of saying it's better for that part of my life to die rather than to be condemned my whole life. See, see, if we say, you know what, I know that's an issue in my life, but I'm just not willing to deal with it, then that will become a trap. It will become sin that we're caught in. Or that may cause us to not come to Jesus. And the Lord is saying, are you willing? Are you willing to even cut off a limb if you had to? He's not saying to do that. But he is saying, sometimes if we're going to overcome our sinful ways, we're going to have to make drastic changes. That's what he's saying. You might have to break up that relationship. You might have to choose not to hang with those guys anymore. You might have to do something radical to say, you know what, I'm not going there anymore. And by God's grace and his mercy, we can stand. We can stand. Let the word of the Lord challenge you as it has me. And let's not kid ourselves. Let's deal with sin. Let's deal with it. I believe that's what the Lord's been talking about here. You know, I want to focus on relationship now and our relationship with Jesus. And so, Jared, come on up.